0: Joshua was commissioned by God to lead his people into the promised land. Uh, can we the first slide, please? Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy 31, 23. God says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, for you will bring the Israelites into the land I promised them on oath, and I myself will be with you. Which is good, but the trouble is, between the Israelites and the promised land was the river Jordan. That was a barrier between the Israelites and what they were promised. And another problem was that it was in flood. Normally, the River Jordan is about 3 to 10 feet deep and about 90 to 100 100 feet wide. But in flood, apparently, it gets to about 20 feet deep and half a mile wide, which is quite a problem. Of course, God could have called them to do that in the season that wasn't the flood. It would have been a lot easier. They wouldn't have needed to have had the miracle that they did But God has these plans. He obviously wanted to show his people uh, the supernatural. Next slide, please. Can't help being a primary school teacher. That's for you, who are the visual learners. So Joshua sends two spies to look over the promised land. Whilst he sends those spies, he actually acts. He shows his faith in God's promises, and he's determined to put those promises into action. And so he prepares his people for crossing even before he hears the spies' reports. He does that by declaring the truths that he himself has received through God. Uh, Next slide, please. Joshua 1. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. I'll put it in red so you can see kind of the declaration bits of it. In Joshua 3, he tells the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And then later on in that chapter, verse 9. Joshua says to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he certainly will drive out before you Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, and the other people listed. These are all declarations of what God was going to do. And the effect it has on the people is that it strengthens their faith. And then when they take those declarations deep into their heart, it's then going to spur their action. Because... We need to believe something in order to do it. Everything that we do is based on what we believe, whether we realize it or not. Next slide. James 1, 23 says, Anyone who listens to the word of God but does not do what he says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I was thinking that's a bit like you know when you read the Bible and you don't... Really take it to heart. It's as if you're just looking at yourself and you go and you forget it. It has absolutely no impact on your life. We really need to get these things deep into our hearts for it then to change what we do. That's quite a big thing that Jamie's been encouraging us and we've been doing as a church. That's what Grace just did with us as a whole church. Declarations to get these truths into our hearts. So I'm doing my own. I'm reading the Bible and putting... Uh, decorations in. So, because I want to increase my belief in God's promises and build my faith, and then when I come to tricky things, then rather than believing lies that are going to weaken me, I'm going to remember God's truths, and it's really going to strengthen me. So I read little bits of the Bible, I condense them right down into a phrase that reminds me of all the truths that it's based on. Okay, So it's from the Bible, I can't, I can't argue with it, it's the truth. It's a short phrase that triggers these other truths. For instance, one of my declarations is, I will be safe because I dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. Now that's a little phrase, it's actually the whole of Psalm 91, condensed in a little phrase for me that I can remember. I've only got 11 declarations so far because they take time. Some of you are doing this already in a way ahead of me. Jamie's got about 100 declarations, so I've got some way to go. Becky, my daughter-in-law, has got about 50, and she's got them on her phone. And every morning she declares that she's sitting in her car before she goes into work. She's training to be a GP and it's quite challenging. That just really strengthens her and gives her hope and determination and and knowledge that God's with her and she's going to take the kingdom wherever she goes. I'm expecting that my bank of declarations as I build them up are going to change my thought life and they're going to convince me about what God can do in my life and can do through me and what he's like. And I'm going to more quickly, as I said, banish those things that trip us up when we're feeling low or not well or under pressure. So, going back to Joshua. He gave his people declarations to build their faith. The two spies come back with a positive report and Joshua instructs the people to move to the edge of the Jordan and camp there for three days before crossing. Next slide. When they get there, God gives specific instructions about the method by which they should cross the Jordan. Uh, Next one, please. Joshua 3, verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage, all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a, great, in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarephan, while the water down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When I looked at this passage, and actually when I knew it before, it's just such an amazing visual image, isn't it? You've got the priests standing in the River Jordan, and some distance away, we've got the River Jordan banking up at this place called Adam. And it's actually quite a detailed uh, description of what happens, and it's interesting. I said, why do we need all that detail? And I said, well, you know, if it's in the Bible, it's there for a reason, and it's worth us taking note um, in the Old Testament, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant. It was a wooden box decorated with gold. It held tablets which contained the laws which were given to Moses. The box was a symbol of the presence of God. It served to remind the Israelites that God was among them. In the New Testament, actually, we're all priests. Next slide, Next slide please. <coughs> One Peter two nine. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So, we are already priests, and we don't need a wooden box to let us know that we've got God's presence. We have that through Jesus. But I do think it's really interesting when we look at the priests. They were holding the Ark of the Covenant for the Israelites, and whilst they were standing there in the middle of the Jordan, they gave the Israelites faith that God was going to be working a miracle. So they could cross all that way along looking at the priest, thinking, it's okay, it's going to be all right. The priests have got it, we trust them, they trust him, we're going to be fine. Wow. And I think we act like priests when we hold up the presence of God for other people. Especially in situations, uh, maybe that we have got victory in, but they need victory in. Uh, next slide, please. I do 't know why the priests have got turbans on. <laughs> <laughs> the description of crossing the Jordan actually switches back and forth through chapter Three or four, a bit like a movie. It says in 410 that the people hurried over i don 't know about you, but I would have done the same with a river twenty foot deep and half a mile wide just <coughs> all the way away. And they stood all the time the Israelites passed by. Commentators reckon there were about six hundred thousand fighting men with their families, their baggage and all their equipment. And it took a whole day for them to cross. So those priests were standing there the whole day. I don't know what they felt like. The Bible doesn't say they were sobbing or quaking with fear. But there must have been moments when they were a bit worried. But they stood there faithfully because they did know, despite their occasional fears, that God would be with them. I don't know about you, but I want to be like that for other people. I want to stand there faithfully, being an encouragement to other people. For the Israelites, the priests were a symbol of what God had said. They raised the faith levels of the Israelites and enabled the Israelites to put that first toe in the water and then walk all the way across. And I think we've got people like that in the church. They're the ones who are further on in God than us in particular uh, situations. And you can only know who they are if you've actually got relationships with people in the church. Yes, you can chat on a Sunday. But you'll need to spend one-on-one time to develop anything deeper. You can meet for coffee, go for a beer, walk, watch the football. It would be really good if you invited people into your homes. That's a really, really quality time when you do that. Community group is really great. Our, I absolutely love our group. Every time we meet, we, I'm with people who hold up the presence of God uh, every two weeks, but every time, I can be with people and they raise my faith level. When they share their lives, and they share their struggles and their victories, they don't just share the stuff when they've got through it, they share it week on week and we can see them. And my faith grows. Because of my community group, I have got more faith about debt, about provision of jobs, about being joyful despite a family member having a long-term illness, about seeing healing when our family members or friends are ill about talking to strangers on the bus and then praying no. for them. I'm not quite there on that one, but you know some of the people who do that kind of thing, I want to be like them. And because of my group, acting like priests for me, I can put my toe in the water. Please Please, yeah. For instance, a month or two ago, I chatted to uh, a man who was selling the big issue outside the co-op at the top. Now... I, loads of you do that already, and you have big conversations with people. But for me, that was my first toe. And I will do it again because of the people who, who, who hold that presence of God for me. And the other thing you need to do is purposefully spend time with people who are different to you. Mm-hmm. You won't learn much from people who are the same as you. It'll be yeah. nice and comfy and cozy, but they won't challenge you like people who are different to you. And it takes time. Yeah, it takes true. months and years. Yeah. We've known John and Hector for eight years. I don't know when get emotional, so excuse me. We first met them uh, when we were in the community group with them. We would pick them up in the car, wouldn't we? And we would have little conversations, because John's English wasn't as brilliant as it is now. <laughs> but, and we had them around for meals, not really often, probably every three months or so. What was really great was they reciprocated. And... <laughs> The food was great. <laughs> and
1: we always. built a friendship, always,
0: <laughs> and we built a friendship. We've had laughs, you know. It was spiritual, but it was often just fun, wasn't it? And I, I guess we've been a help to them, but just we just feel so blessed, so much more blessed them to us than us to them, because of their faith, yeah. because of their humility, because of stories of people becoming Christians in Kathmandu and here. And knowing that our God is powerful worldwide. Mm-hmm. And my walk with God is much richer and full of more understanding about God and what he does and what he's like over the whole world than ever it was before when you knew Christ. Mm-hmm. The other thing you can do is seek people who are further on in an issue than you. Spend time with them and pray with them. They're going to have so much faith because they can see that you have gone through something that they're struggling with. And seek this not only for yourself, but for your children. Bring your parents, bring your children to church every week, if you possibly can, and your youth to the youth groups, because they need priests just like you do. Now, if you've got children aged under 11, I've got a little truth for you, which may come as a bit of a shock. When they get beyond the age of 11, they may not hang on every word you say. There may even come a time when they think that they know better than you. That's when you need, or that's when they need, wise adults acting like priests who aren't their parents. We all want to have answers for our children. But actually, God's put us in a community, and he is so wise. And he's put them in a community, put us in a community for so many different reasons. And one of them is that we need to learn from each other. We found that especially true with our kids. Um, before Jamie and, Richard, um, Jamie and Michelle led the church, we had a guy called Richard and his wife, Kay. And uh, I remember Richard telling us he was quite surprised one summer during New Day, which is like a survivor, kind of a youth camp thing, when he got a phone call from our son, Tom, who had struggled with a preach and wanted to talk to somebody. And they had a big, deep theological discussion. I don't know what time it was as a result of that. He, Tom, knows how to find people to help him. (coughs) More seriously, when he was about 18 or 19, he did a year out uh, before he went to university, kind of theological, practical training, which was run at the time by New Frontiers called Frontier Year Project. I had a great time. He um, led worship here virtually every week, helped him run the kids' club, and actually did the same running the kids club with a church in Bermondsey and at the end of the year all the, they got together I mean there were loads of them countrywide, wide but about 20 in London, they went camping they went to Wales and they went in a series of cars and unfortunately one of the cars was involved in an accident and the driver who was Tom's friend was killed and Tim uh, and I had a phone call in the middle of the night with Tom, distraught and um, he came back we gave him a hug and um, And we wanted to talk to him, we wanted to help him, you know, because that kind of thing can derail people's faith. But he didn't want to talk to us. We had a great relationship with him, but he he didn't want to process that with us. And we felt a bit hurt, we wanted to really help him. But, praise God, he had those relationships and he sought somebody else to talk to, and he talked to the guys in Bermondsey. And he worked it through. And I still don't know the things that he worked through, because that was between him and the guys at Bermondsey, but I'm so thankful but he had people that he could talk to. And he's stronger for it. Our girls had a brilliant relationship, and still do, with Rob and Joe, who led the youth when our kids were teenagers. They really helped Esther through a very sticky patch. And even Becca, you know, she had a number of challenges at uni, and she could talk to you guys. And that had a massive, massive impact. Our kids' lives are so much richer when they are surrounded by people acting like priests. Joey, every now and again, is, gonna, uh, is watching Arsenal awesome with Pam. Is mm-hmm. Pam here? She's in Crash. And, you know, that's just a fun thing. But who knows what kind of conversations Joey will be having at half-time with Pam mm-hmm. and what kind of investment that time that she's giving him will will, will bear fruit. Mm-hmm. It's really important our kids have relationships with other adults. The other thing is really important to do is to, you believe that you are priests for others. We all are. We all bear God's fruit. Therefore, we all are priests for others. If you'd have told me when our kids were little that I would be an encourager of others in parenting, I would have laughed. It would have seemed ridiculous. But God works in our lives. And by his grace, he gives us victories. And we can share those victories. Uh, next slide, please. Matthew 5.16 5.16 In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We need to live openly, with the difficulties and the victories, so that people can see our lives and learn from us. So going back to the text then, so we've got um, the Israelites and they are crossing the sea. And the big thing that they experience once they've stepped into that water is the miracle of the waters being stopped. Miracles are a sign that God is with with us, and that's why they're really exciting. He intervenes into the physical existence of our lives and supernaturally changes something. He did that with the Israelites, and he does it with us. He did it with Hector and John with that money. How how exciting that was. Many of us have experienced his intervention in health, finance, jobs, and as a church, we're seeking more of these breakthroughs. Miracles raise our expectations for ourselves, We know that God, if has moved in one area of our lives, we know it's possible to move in another, and for others. If we have a miracle in our lives, it gives faith for others that the same can happen to them. So we need to share our stories, and I'm really glad that we do. We raise the faith of each other, and as we pray for them, we can exercise our faith as well, and we get blessed when they get blessed. I know that God provides God jobs in miraculous ways. I know that he intervenes in our children's lives to bring them closer to him. And I know that he heals. Our families had experience of all of those things. And I know that in church, actually on the healing front, some of you have got much stronger experiences. And you raise my faith for that. But all of us need to believe God for the supernatural. In our community group, we've discussed about what we think that looks like on a day-to-day basis the supernatural the small things the big things and it's really good to mull that over and expect how God might work through us and what we might see to build our expectation next slide then kind of the last thing that struck me about this passage and funny James mentioned it is the role of memorial stones Joshua 4 4 no yes Joshua 4 4 when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right to where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So, once the Israelites had actually crossed the Jordan, 12 men, one from each tribe, were to go back into the Jordan and put some very, very big stones there. Can you imagine if you were one of those 12 people? (laughs) You get all the way to the other side of the Jordan, probably. And then Joshua says to you, oh, can you get this really, really massive stone? And can you bring it back into the middle of the Jordan again? They did put 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan and then 12 on the other side. I'm just so glad that it wasn't me. I can't imagine what they would have thought. They must have been massive stones because they've got to be impressive. They've got to tell something about what God has done. And I imagine that the 12 stones in the middle of Jordan had to be big enough so that maybe when it wasn't flooded, you could see them as, as a reminder. Actually, those kind of memorial things happen often in the Old Testament, especially after battles have been won. And I was thinking, do you have memories or even physical things around your household that you have that act like memorial stones? Because they encourage us. We look at them and we think, oh yeah, I remember when God did such and such. They remind us what God's done and is still going to do. They're important because they remind us when God stepped into our lives. I mean, he's with us all the time, but when he changes something, shifts something that's really important to us, it's when he does something miraculous that you weren't expecting and it shows us that he loves us individually and cares about the things that we care about I remember Toppy who's the leader of the New Frontiers church in Enfield's really massive church talking about when he parks into his driveway that he thanks God that that house is a bit like a memorial stone because he never could have afforded it if it hadn't been for God for us um, I, when I, in our kitchen we've got graduation photos of Esther and Becca Uh, And Esther had quite a a struggle at uni, and we didn't even know whether she would graduate. So when I see that one of her, I just really thank God. Not not, not that she graduated, actually, but it just reminds me that during that time, she got really close to God. She got confidence, and it just reminds me of God's work in her life, which did take quite a while, actually. And Bex is there. She'd got a degree in electromechanical engineering, which actually was a real challenge for her. And she supported a lot of her friends who went through really tough times. And she's smiling, and I think, yeah, God, you really used that time for her, not just to get a degree, but to really bless the people around her. And in the middle, between Esther and Beckett, is the gap where Tom's graduation photo should have been. He, he, he did graduate, but he didn't go to the ceremony because he decided to go to Uganda for six weeks instead. And, and I look at, and I'm, I'm really happy because... He is, the lad he is, the man he is, and I'm really thankful that each of our kids are individuals, and he had a great time out there, and still continues to be an individual whom God is working with. And our house as well. When um, it took, We were in a little two-up, two-down, and we had had our house on the market for two years, and we hadn't had an offer at all. Then one morning, it was a Sunday morning, we knew that we were going to get a viewer. Now, our, we only had Esther and Becca at the time. They were like uh, no Esther and Tom at the time. They were like three and one. I was pregnant with Becca, and they didn't sleep through the night. We were absolutely exhausted. We used to take in turns to sleep, but we must have I don't know dozed off or something, because Tom and Esther decided to open two kilograms worth of rice, pour them on the lounge floor, and uh, act like choo choo trains, brooming their feet along the two kilograms of rice. Uh, and we had reasonably deep-piled carpets. So we couldn't hoover it up. It was too heavy anyway. So Tim sent me off to church with the kids whilst he hand-swept as much as he could of these two kilograms of glass. And wouldn't you know it, that's when we got an offer for the house. And I just think that is so like God. You know, we could have sold the house at any stage. You no, know, God says, hold up. I'm going to get you to sell this house with quite a lot of rice in the uh, carpet. <laughs> the person making the offer is going to think the house is really nice even though years later she'll be picking up bits of rice off the carpet. Which is a bit like, you know, the Israelites crossing the Jordan when it's in flood. He could have done it at any time. But God is God, and he moves the miraculous, and nothing stands in his way, does it? So, to conclude, we need to be thankful. Remind ourselves of the times when God has intervened in our lives to inspire us that he will do it again. Be expectant that God will do miracles and will lead us in the supernatural. Look for priests to encourage you, to help you inhabit all the areas that God has given you. And live openly so that you can be like a priest for other people as well. Amen. Amen. Amen.